So Matthew chapter 5, starting verse 1. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the hurt. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil things against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Thanks, Anthony. Set a new standard for our Bible reading. Just memorize the whole passage. And hopefully many of us can do that over this term as well. Good morning, everyone. Uh, if you haven't met me, my name's Ken. I'm one of the pastors here at WBC. And if you are visiting or with us for the first time, an extra special welcome to you. We'd love to meet with you and talk with you after the service, so please hang around. Uh, and if you're happy to fill in a Connect card out on the welcome desk, there's little cards that just you put your name and number on it, just will help us to follow you up well. Now, as Simon said today, we're starting our series for this term uh, in Matthew 5 to 7, the very, very famous section of the first gospel, often simply called the Sermon on the Mount. And most of us know it very well. And even if you don't know it, many things that you'll see over the coming term from the sermon have been incorporated into our culture here in Australia. Turn the other cheek. Pluck out your eye. Do not judge or you too will be judged. It is so well known, but I think it's also fair to say that it's so under-implemented. It starts off with the passage that Anthony recited for us, sometimes called the Beatitudes, which is just from the Latin word for blessed. It doesn't mean be or have a certain attitude. It just means blessed. Now, is it pronounced blessed or is it blessed? I'll leave that for the English teachers to determine. Uh, my preference is for blessed, and so I apologise if you prefer the other uh, or if I'm just outright wrong. Um, we need God's help as much as ever as we reflect on familiar passages, and so I invite you to pray with me. Let's do that now. Lord God, we thank you so much that we have your word in a language that's easy for us to understand, and yet we acknowledge that though we can understand it with our minds to actually really understand it for it to impact on us the way that it's designed to. Uh, it's not dependent upon us alone, but we need you to be at work in us. And so please, by your Holy Spirit, come and work in us. Enable us not only to understand with our heads, but that it would transform our hearts so that we would actually live these words out to your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Um, if you haven't got one of these books, uh, another reason to grab it is that there's a typo in it and whoever can find the typo, um, there's an editing problem, something to do with the person writing it. Um, if you can find it, you've got a Mars bar next week. Okay, so incentive to grab one of these. They're only $2 donation out there. Um, and keep it open um, and just be writing down things that might be helpful. If you've got your Bible, keep it open at Matthew chapter 5. Some of the words will be up on the screen, um, but it'd be good to just follow along so you can see where we're up to. If you search the term hashtag blessed on the internet, you'll find that it is incredibly popular. On Instagram alone, it brings up more than 145 million posts. And the pictures that are tagged give us a pretty good idea of what people mean by the term hashtag blessed. Perfect family, fancy new car, perhaps the dream house, a good job, winning the title that you've been fighting for for all of your life. In popular usage, blessed undoubtedly means that life is good, that things are going well, that we've gotten all of the things that we desired. The Cambridge Dictionary, I think quite surprisingly, agrees defining blessed as bringing you happiness, luck, or something you need. And at first glance, even the Old Testament seems to confirm this definition is right. The way to tell when you're blessed in the Old Testament is through what one has, possessions, power, popularity. Overlapping, though not identical with rewards, blessing is God's promise for those who live according to his ways. Cursing, the opposite of blessing, is punishment for disobedience in the book of Deuteronomy. Blessings are pronounced by the powerful on the weak. First of all, by God on his good creation, then by dying fathers on their son or their children, or by the priests on the people. But the weaker can also bless God. So while in many cases blessing acknowledges that we receive something greater than we deserve, at its core, Blessing means something like give good to. Sometimes it's undeserved. Sometimes, in God's case, it's completely deserved. It's a tricky word to nail down precisely, and yet its centrality is shown in the God's promise to bless Abraham and through Abraham bless all nations acts as a summary of what the whole Bible is about all of which sets the background to our passage today in which Jesus starts his public teaching with a proclamation of blessing after blessing after blessing. This section, Matthew 5, 3 to 12, as I said, is often referred to as the Beatitudes, which is just an English form of the Latin word for blessing. And while Jesus' goal was clearly not merely for his followers to post hashtag blessed, for all the good things that they have happened to receive in their lives, why did Jesus say what he did about blessing? We're going to think through that by asking three questions. Firstly, who is blessed? Second question, why does Jesus redefine who the blessed are? And then finally, 
how can we be among the blessed? So question one, who is blessed? It's really, really important to notice that in Matthew's Gospel, this is the first detailed record of Jesus' teaching. Up until this point, in chapters 1 through 4, Matthew has primarily been explaining who Jesus is. This one who's teaching, who is he? He's gone to great lengths to show Jesus coming as the fulfilment of Old Testament prophecies, shown how Jesus gets right everything that the nation of Israel got wrong. When his prophesied forerunner, John the Baptist, was in prison, Jesus left his home and went to the far north of Israel and began to preach there in the outskirts. And while we don't hear the detail there of what he preaches, the summary, according to Matthew in chapter 4, verse 17, is repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent. Turn around. Go the other way. Jesus is not affirming people, saying that they've basically got it right. He calls people to turn from the life that they're living and instead to follow after him. And all at once, many do leave everything and literally walk after Jesus. Alongside of his powerful words, Jesus performs amazing miracles, drawing crowds of people to him from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the regions across the Jordan. If Jesus' goal in life was to be a popular teacher, then surely this moment would be his hashtag blessed moment. Everything is going well for Jesus. He has committed disciples. He has the ability to perform miracles. Crowds are coming to him from everywhere to follow him. And it's in that context that Jesus goes up on a mountain. The parallel, given what Matthew has been doing to Moses climbing Mount Sinai thousands of years, is obviously intentional. The similarity of giving foundational rules for living as God's people are obvious. And it gives us a valuable clue as to what the purpose of the three chapters we'll study this term actually is. Some commentators suggest that Jesus going up the mountain is intended to separate himself from the crowds and that this teaching is just for the inner circle of disciples. Now that's possible, but I think it seems just as likely that Jesus' words, both then and now, are for all of us whether we're already committed followers, intrigued onlookers, or perhaps even sceptical cynics. Some of what Jesus goes on to say assumes that as listeners, we are already in the kingdom. Yet at other times, what he says challenges us to change in order that we might enter the kingdom. I think this shows that just being there, or here for that matter, is not enough to indicate whether somebody is following Jesus. We all need to take these words of Jesus to heart, wherever we think we stand. Jesus sat down, verse 1, as was the custom of teachers in his days, and began to teach them. It's a great custom, isn't it? You've got to stand up here, Jesus gets to sit. He sits down and teaches them blessed are the poor in spirit, 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Not blessed are the wealthy, blessed are the beautiful, blessed are the ones with the insta-worthy life. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Which I assume came as an even bigger surprise to everyone listening that first time round than it does to us now who have heard it probably more than once. Much more so in Jesus' society than ours. The ones who excelled in religion were the ones considered to have made it. The ones who had overcome their self-centeredness. Those who'd broken their attachment to the world. Those who kept all the rules and were seen to be good. But with Jesus' opening words, he turns everything on its head. He hadn't come to pat on the back those who were doing well. He wasn't there to encourage people to behave just a little bit better. The blessed are those who are poor, who have nothing to offer, who are spiritually bankrupt. Now, it's not even immediately explicit in verse 3 whether the blessed realise and acknowledge their status, but whether they appreciate it or not, that is who they are, poor in spirit. That's what makes them blessed. Now, poverty of any form is not something that we humans are renowned for taking pride in. We want to contribute, to play our part, to, to be worthy of acceptance, whether it's bringing something to a dinner party or emphasising our hard work in obtaining that degree, even if it's only a token contribution, we don't ever want to be seen to be getting a free ride. But at the very outset of explaining how life in his kingdom works, Jesus says it's the poor, it's those without that have what matters. It's the poor in spirit who have the kingdom of heaven. Intentionally ironic. It is the poor who have the most valuable possession imaginable. Which I think should warn all of us of our need to look carefully at what it's saying here. Some argue that verse 3 means that the financially deprived, the disadvantaged, those who've had a hard life now, get all they want in the life to come. But notice that what Jesus says is it's the poor in spirit, meaning that this is not at least primarily a financial poverty. We can't determine if we are poor in spirit by the size of our bank account or the, the number of possessions that we have. There's something much, much deeper going on here. And I think this gives us a foundational insight into what will be the case for the remainder of sermon, chapters 5 to 7, but in fact the whole of Matthew's gospel. Much of what Jesus says is puzzling, confusing, enigmatic. It defies logic or at least reverses what we consider to be normal. If we have any hope of appreciating the full meaning of what Jesus says here, we'll have to mull over it, reflect on it, Keep on pondering it, which is a big part of why we're going to attempt to memorise the words of today's passage. Rather than assuming that we'll get the full meaning the, the first time through or the second time through at home group, we'll actively seek for Jesus' words to keep on impacting us over and over by memorising them, 
They'll play in the background of our mind as we just get on with life, allowing his words to shape and reshape our thinking in real life, not just for an hour as we sit here. Memorizing makes it easy for the Holy Spirit to bring Jesus' words to mind in situations in which perhaps we've never considered them relevant before. Now, that's not to say that we shouldn't also actively consider how we should respond. I think a great first question we can ask ourselves is, are we poor in spirit? Do we come to God aware of how much good we haven't done, of how many things we have messed up? Or do we find ourselves telling us that maybe we're a little bit better than average, God, and you should accept us on our merits? Have we acknowledged the truth that we don't make the grade, that we're simply not good enough? The beginning of being blessed, according to Jesus, is not to draw attention to what I have, but to acknowledge how far from the ideal I am. What's your default assessment of your spiritual credit rating? Now, at this point, uh, certainly the first service was starting to shake a little bit, uh, concerned that we're going to take 10 minutes on each of the Beatitudes, uh, thinking through the details of everything that each one of these means. But don't stress, the first statement or Beatitude models how we should read the remainder. We're not supposed to read through and pick the ones we like because, well, I like to be known as meek or because most people consider me to be pretty merciful. I think the intention is to take them as a package that's redefining who the blessed are, our point two. Why does Jesus redefine who the blessed are? And I think that Jesus' redefining of who is blessed says that far too often we misunderstand what is important. We chase after all the wrong things. At the heart of each of the Beatitudes is that to get the blessed outcome, we have to do or to be the opposite of what society expects. Think again of the hashtag blessed pictures. Who would add to this group of lovely photos a selfie at the funeral with the hashtag blessed on the bottom? Nobody does that. But that's what verse 4 says is the person who is blessed. Blessed are those who mourn. Or have a look at verse 5. When is the last time a meek person was interviewed on business tonight for, for having landed a record property deal? Well, Jesus says it's the meek that are going to inherit the earth. In light of verse 6, hands up if you feel an insatiable demand to fill up on righteousness. I personally have natural cravings for chocolate. But can I really say that each day I get up aching to be more and more righteous? Think Oliver Twist coming and asking for some more. It's really sad, actually, that in comparison to my devout quenching of my thirst for coffee, I'm far less insistent that today I'll grow in righteousness. Why do I regularly satisfy the one? while being complacent about the one that's actually more important. Mercy, verse 7, is something that we want shown to us, but it's not a characteristic that epitomises those that the world holds up as blessed. 
mercies for the weak, for the soft, not for those who succeed in life. Imagine a tennis player, Novak Djokovic, taking it easy on his opponent. A politician overlooking their opposition's stumble. That's not the way you get what you want. Isn't it the ruthless that win at life? Well, not according to Jesus. Verse 8 again points us to an inner truth that won't be met by merely outward conformity to expectations. The heart, in Jewish thinking, is the control centre, not just of emotions, but of thoughts and attitudes and actions. Jesus says that the blessed are those who are transformed at that level. The blessed don't act like they're pure, doing what's needed to seek the crowd's approval. The blessed are pure in the core of their being. Their purity overflows in their actions, their words and their thoughts. Which sounds a lot to me like spiritually elite rather than spiritually poor. And so as we go along in the Sermon on the Mount, we might have to adjust our thinking if, for example, we thought that spiritual poverty was a description of a lack of spirituality. With further insights that come later, it clearly has far more to do with recognising the, the need for an enabling that's beyond us. And then with that God-given enabling, seeking to live in a way that pleases him. Verse 9 again sounds like something that we long for. In a world filled with war, Russia, Myanmar, Jerusalem, balloons floating across America. It's the oppressor's names that make the news. But Jesus says it's the peacemakers that are blessed. And while maybe we won't be the individual that brings peace to the Middle East, can we be the source of peace in our family, in our workplace, or on the social media thread? Are we a peacemaker or breaker here at church? Verse 10, the final beatitude. Can you imagine sitting in a meeting where the new guy suggests the campaign for the persecuted church this year being hashtag blessed? Let's post pictures of Christians in prison, of churches bombed, of displaced Christians with hashtag blessed underneath. I think as Western Christians who face a, a different type of persecution mainly, when we think of our sisters and brothers around the world who are in terrible circumstances because they follow Jesus, I think that our default position, our default response is to be sorry for them. I didn't know until earlier this morning that we were praying for them, but it's a good thing to pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters. Often we pray that God would disarm the Tatmadaw in Myanmar that he would bring the downfall of North Korean cruelty, that he would bring to justice the Middle Eastern regimes that kill Christians. And I think that there is an appropriateness in praying that way. But as we pray that way, let's also remember that Jesus says that blessed, verse 10, are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Rather than feeling sorry for them, we should be jealous of them, wanting to be more like them. In a repetition of verse 3, the promise for the persecuted, as it was for the poor in spirit, is that the kingdom of heaven is theirs. 
those we pity have the most valuable thing imaginable. The repetition in verse 10 ties verses 3 to 10 together into a unit, and with that there's a subtle shift. Notice in verse 11 that Jesus says, Blessed are you. No longer are we considering other circumstances or characteristics or behaviours, wondering if those descriptions apply also to us. In verse 11, the pronoun intentionally changes, meaning that Jesus is talking to you and to me. Blessed are you when people insult you. No longer should we be asking, am I merciful? Am I meek? Am I pure in heart? Jesus says that when you are persecuted, when people say all kinds of evil against you, as I said, there are moments in Jesus' sermon which clearly assume that you are already in. And so our third and final point, in some sense, is answered by a really surprising statement that we already are among the blessed. Our question is, what do we have to do to become among the blessed? You already are. I really like the Bonhoeffer quote that's on page four and five of your booklet. Just another good reason to grab one of these. Um, It is so true that rather than debating what it means to love our enemies, we would be far better off investing all of that energy into just getting on with loving them. That rather than putting limits on when we should turn the other cheek, we should simply do what Jesus tells us to do. I think that Bonhoeffer captures something incredibly important, a truth that that we will hold up the whole way through this series. But at the same time, there's another aspect to the Sermon on the Mount when there is no obvious thing that we're to do. I don't think that verse 11 justifies us raising our levels of insensitivity in expressing our faith in Jesus in order that people will persecute us. We're not to count the number of insults as an indicator of how faithfully we're sharing our faith in Jesus. Jesus here is letting us in on an extraordinary truth that we must understand if we're going to live out the ways of living that he's going to keep outlining in the following chapters. The only thing for us to do in verse 12 is to rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. And so whether you have already accepted Jesus' call to come follow him, whether you're considering perhaps accepting it, or even if you think the whole idea is crazy and this just all confirms it, then know this, hashtag blessed, doesn't mean that life is going to be easy. Hashtag blessed, according to the world, suggests that in possessions and experiences, we can have everything that we want. And as the, word, as the world sees people accumulating all those good things, they look on and agree and say, wow, so blessed. But Jesus says that as we value and seek after the things that are truly valuable, people will mock us for it. People will persecute us when we do what is right. People will question our motives and slander us for putting this into practice. And in that is a proof that we have repented and are on the right path. 
Jesus' blessed life is not the way to popularity and public approval. It is very likely your likes on Instagram will trend in the wrong direction. Jesus' path is one that firstly leads to rejection. And so as we admit our spiritual poverty, expect people to scoff at you. When we mourn, expect people to avoid us. When you are meek, expect people to push you aside. When you hunger for righteousness, anticipate being labelled a fanatic. When you're merciful, expect it to be abused. When you're pure in heart, know that people will label you as naive. When you actively seek peace, be conscious that people are going to resist. But don't worry. And don't let that turn you from striving after all these things more and more and more. The obstacles and criticisms are not an indicator that you're doing life wrong. It's the proof that you're following Jesus. And as the better Moses on the better mountain, Jesus gives us a better law that should never be mistaken as a list of things we're to do in order to earn our place in his kingdom. These are characteristics, attributes, attitudes, behaviours, actions that continue to grow and develop over time. And yet, the more we live, as Jesus taught us to, the more we'll find ourselves regularly back at the beginning with a deeper appreciation of our spiritual poverty. We're paupers. We're, as Paul would say, we're dead. Jesus says that the ultimate blessing is found when you turn from what the world is chasing and come and walk his way. And the more we do so, the more it will contrast with what the world values. In the very well-known movie Dead Poets Society, Robin Williams' character takes his students out into the quadrangle of the school. Everybody starts off walking their own way. But his students unwittingly demonstrate that it's human nature to fall in step with others. And as the lesson that he draws from that, they're, they're invited to walk their own way. They're encouraged to do it your way. It's an inspiring scene and it powerfully affirmed the pressure that we're going to feel to ignore Jesus' call. But I also think that, more importantly, it misses Jesus' main point. Be true to yourself sounds like a good motto. People who have lived by it have done amazing things and been recognised by the world. But Jesus doesn't give us the freedom to walk however we want. He calls us to come follow him. Walk my way, Jesus says. Get into step with me. Do so and others will laugh at you for it, but do it anyway because it's the only way to be truly blessed. Are you truly blessed? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you start off this message with a clear call to follow you, a clear explanation that as we do follow you, people are going to laugh at us a clear revelation that as we do this more and more, we're going to keep coming back to the fact 
that we've got nothing to offer you. Lord, we thank you so much that you have not only provided the way, you've lived the way for us so that we can walk after you. Please enable us to do this more and more in everything that we do think and say. We ask it for your sake that you would be blessed. Amen.